All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Big Questions with Big John. Obviously, I'm your host, Big John. And joining us here today, we have yet another candidate for the 2024 Libertarian Party uh, presidential nomination, uh, or rather to be the candidate. Uh, joining us today is uh, someone who was the chair of the Horry County uh, Libertarian Party for six years and has also aided numerous local candidates running uh, for office since 2016. He also ran for president in 2020, also under the uh, Libertarian Party nomination, but eventually he ended up endorsing fellow South Carolinian Joe Jorgensen, uh, who won the nomination. Um, he, is, he is once again running in 2024 for the party's nomination. Uh, everyone, please welcome Mr. Keenan Wallace Dunham to the show. Keenan, how are you today? Doing great. Thank you so much, John. Now, the first thing I have to ask you, Keenan, is did I uh, properly uh, identify the citizens of the great state of South Carolina? Are, is it South Car Carolinians or is it? do you refer to yourself as something else? Yeah, that's correct. And my county, you pronounce the county correct as well. It's kind of like O'Ree. O'Ree County. Okay. So I guess I got lucky on two counts there. So I'm glad I have not slandered anyone's origins uh, in the great state of South Carolina. All right. So, uh, Keenan, let's start off. Let's get right into it, because uh, you do have a lot of positions that you've publicly taken a, a stance on. And I want the folks to get the opportunity to understand what, what your campaign is all about, why you're running, what you're trying to accomplish. So let's start out with some basic uh, questions. Uh, you're running uh, in the Libertarian Party. Uh, obviously, you're now uh, focusing on individual liberty and uh, issues that are, pertain I'm assuming to most libertarians across the swath of the large number of different sects of libertarianism. So let's start out uh, in terms of policy right off the bat. Uh, your plank is actually very well segmented into areas that I consider to be of importance to libertarians. So let's start out with free markets in general uh, and get your take on uh, some of the issues affecting free markets. So uh, as I understand it, you are, if elected, you would eliminate, the, you would strive to eliminate the personal income tax. Is that correct? Absolutely. The, okay. Uh, my economic plan is a fourfold domestic plan, and each of the four points are very clear and would increase the economy by trillions. And I can explain how I would budget the ability to eliminate the personal income tax. Uh, that would be to make all vo uh, government voluntary as in the Social Security and the Medicare, make those both voluntary savings accounts mm -hmm. and also cut the budget of the military and the rest of the government by 50%, which is also a plank of the Libertarian Party itself. It's kind of funny. I've run since 2021 for President 2024, and the Libertarian Party at large has kind of echoed a lot of my planks as the years have gone down. So we line up very, uh, very clearly. Yeah, that's definitely uh, something to to that does align. You're absolutely right. Uh, one question people might have is, okay, you get rid of the p personal income tax. Do you replace it with anything else? Or do you kind of view it like getting rid of a cancer? You don't replace a cancer with another cancer, right? So if we got rid of the personal income tax, uh, is there a fair tax that's taking its place? Is there a national sales tax? Is there a VAT type of thing? Uh, or is it just, as you said, it's a usage tax, pay as you go? No, if you're cutting the budget by 50%, you don't need to replace it with anything. And uh, when I originally ran, I ran in 2016 and 2020 as well. 
Uh, I originally envisioned a national sales tax, but I don't see a need for that now if you cut the budget by 50%. My campaign mm. has grown over the years. And uh, it would basically increase the economy. Just imagine all that money in our pockets and us able to save or spend that money it would put trillions of dollars in the economy. And if I'm playing devil's advocate, how do you fund things like the armed services or the diplomatic missions uh, of the government? So you're going to be cutting the military budget by 50% and uh, basically audit, re-audit the entire government because it's overspending where it does spend money. So I'm confident that we'd be able to cut the budget by 50% across the board. Right. But uh, if you're cutting the budget, there's still an expenditure left over. Absolutely agree with you. It's Let's say you slash it in half, but where's the remaining half? Where are you getting the income for that expenditure? We still have corporate taxes. Corporate taxes. So so you, you just see the corporate tax taking really being sufficient to cover everything once you've slashed the budget 50%. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Uh, one of the things I did see on your plank, which I found interesting, being a bit of a tech nerd myself, is you want to legalize and really implement uh, cryptocurrencies and blockchain ledgers for the government to use. Now, of course, uh, in, in popular, popular media, popular culture right now, uh, crypto is associated with nefarious deeds and with speculative investment, right? Uh, if you're talking about Bitcoin or Ethereum or something of that nature. Um, but I think a lot of people really don't understand the technology of the blockchain and, and that it actually promotes openness, not, uh, not, uh, obscuring transactions, but actually bringing them to the fray. Do you mind touching on that a little bit and how you would recommend that, uh, the, the United States government would, uh, implement, uh, blockchain technology and cryptocurrencies? Yeah, it's interesting. So we're talking about blockchain, not just cryptocurrency, not just Bitcoin, because blockchain, the idea is that every ledger is repeated on the blockchain so that it's uh, clear which transactions occurred and it's tamper-proof because every transaction is uh, hardwired into the system. So this can be used for things like uh, ledgers, any type of ledger, any type of transaction. It could be used for wedding registries. It can use, be used for land deeds. And it is the future of technology. So eventually the government will be using it for land deeds and marriages and birth certificates, births. Uh, right. So across the board, we need to legalize cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And there can be fraud in any of these systems, but it's normally on the wallet end. It's not in the blockchain because that's kind of tamper proof. Uh, so, yes, there needs to be some regulation. But if I'm getting rid of the personal income tax, there's also not going to be any tax on cryptocurrency profits also. So I want to legalize cryptocurrencies. That's the second of my domestic plank, which would increase the economy quite a lot. And also uh, look into the government being able to use simple blockchains for registries of our personal data uh, transactions and things like that. Right. And I think that's an interesting point because to the ex I don't know if people realize that. When you say cryptocurrency, blockchain, it's not just a monetary transaction. You could put a lot of things in there, right? Contracts, uh, yes. personal information, uh, uh, government information, legal information can also be in there. And to your point, once it hits that blockchain, it's there forever. You can't. So, so potentially, 
if the FBI is looking into some of my activity and some of that activity is stored on, on the blockchain, anyone would be able to understand that the FBI did in fact check Big John's background at that point, right? Or big, had access to Big John's information. Is that something that you think is actually workable on a government scale on the federal level where we would be able to tell which government agency, if any, uh, accessed our personal information or information we thought was private? I would totally want to reform the FBI and uh, have what they're doing verified. And also, I think we should make grand juries public. Uh, the information that's put on a grand jury needs to go to the opposing attorney, the defense attorney. And you should be able to defend yourself from a grand jury with your own attorney. Um, so it, well, it depends on the crime, you know, but uh, we need a lot of reform in police and FBI. And I don't want a blockchain that takes nefarious information. So I did address that on my website, whereas you probably wouldn't want to put police data immediately on a blockchain before you reform police. Reform police first, because they're going to be putting a lot of false data on there. You don't want false data. And also, you have to protect people's records as far as medical records and private information. So basically, I would line everything up with the First Amendment, protecting our rights. Uh, and that would take time. Uh, first of all, legalize cryptocurrencies for what the private sector does, and then look into the government implementing these systems. But allow them to, because, of course, federal government isn't the only government. You, you can have it allowed where uh, city governments, state, local municipalities put things on blockchains, and that's certainly possible. So they right. need to legalize it first. Yeah, no, that sounds like a, like a solid plan. Okay. Uh, obviously, in terms of free markets, uh, anything uh, goes in terms of volunteerism. Everything's based on, I agree to sell you an apple, you agree to buy it at a certain price. That should be as far as it goes, right? Uh, but uh, in terms of the drug war, uh, I'm assuming you're in favor of ending it. Uh, I do see that you, you are for the legalization of cannabis, hemp, THC, CBD, uh, not, uh, so it's not on the Schedule A or anything like that. Uh, what about so-called hard drugs? Uh, are you for the legalization of anything, heroin, uh, meth, anything at all? I would say decriminalization of all drugs. Uh, up to one gram. I, and I think that Washington has been a good model for that. Uh, still don't think that you should be able to, uh, you know, sell pharmaceuticals on the street or things like that, or uh, create these harder drugs en masse. Uh, but, you know, just getting the addicts out of the picture by decriminalizing all those drugs would definitely uh, put us on the right track as far as uh, being able to heal people who who need to get off addiction, and uh, also uh, people who are having trouble with uh, prescription drugs and that leading, I've seen it many times, lead to heroin use. Uh, you don't need jail. Jail is not a cure for addiction. Jail should never be a cure for addiction. Uh, mm. it, it does not solve the problem. So I would definitely legalize cannabis 100% and uh, hemp and THC and CBD, et cetera. And uh, I live in a Jim Crow state, South Carolina, among other Southern states, still doesn't even have a medical marijuana law. Mm. Uh, so we're really backwards here. I'm still in this fight. I'm an activist. All my ideas I put out there, I put them out there for free for anyone to pick up and advocate on their own at any time. I don't make any campaign promises. I'm going to be working on these 24 seven. 
uh, like I am on the stance of free Julian Assange and Ross Ulbricht, and I'm mm-hmm. campaigning for their freedom now. I don't make any campaign promises at all. I put my ideas out there for anyone to pick up and let's say, let's get it done now. And, that, and I also encourage many people to run for office as libertarians up and down the board. I've helped many local candidates from city council to school board right. to Congress to Senate uh, in South Carolina uh, run for office. I was chair of the Horry County Libertarian Party for six years and vice chair before that. I was trained paralegal before I got into any of that. And uh, I just hope to help people. And uh, every little step does as we legalize cannabis across the states and as we free whistleblowers as well. Now, that's interesting. Um, I was going to maybe get into this a little bit later, but since you brought it up, let's talk about the free Julian Assange um in particular, um, and, uh, and Ross Albrecht, at what line do you think, if there's any line, is there to be drawn between a whistleblower and someone who has taken a government position with an implied or explicitly defined sort of sense of secrecy, right? So, uh, let's assume which is a big assumption, but let's assume the CIA is working as it's designed. It's not spying on U.S. citizens. It's spying on foreign uh, citizens. Uh, Someone takes a job with the CIA uh, as an analyst. There's probably explicit uh, agreements within that contract of employment that says, hey, uh, what you see at Langley doesn't leave. It stays there. Um, And then someone does take that and then publish it. Uh, is there a line in your mind to be tra- drawn in that situation, or in your mind, is it always to the benefit of a whistleblower in that particular case? Absolutely, because Julian Assange took the necessary precautions and redacted uh, names and uh, locations. He was basically putting out the war crimes that were occurring in the Iraq and Afghanistan wars and videotape of civilians being shot. He wasn't putting the public... the he wasn't publishing the soldiers' names or uh, uh, trying to give away their locations or anything. There's a real easy uh, line to be drawn there, basically not names and uh, soldiers' locations. And basically, we need, we need to look at all of this as whether it violates the non-aggression principle, where the where a actor in the government violates the non-aggression principle, kills a civilian, that is something to whistleblow. And Julian Assange was not just taking all the government's data and putting it out there. It was very specific, and he was a journalist when he did this. And WikiLeaks or publishers, they were publishing war crimes. And it's and then there's been many examples, like the Abu Ghraib prison as well. So, uh, yes, I think there is a line to be drawn where the non-aggression principle is broken, and we need to analyze where it's been broken and who did it, who broke any any people. Right. Well, it's. I think that in the case you just outlined with Assange, it's not even a, a, a question of the NAP, right? It's, it's, it's. There's literal crimes taking place, right? It's not a, a philosophical determination if there's been aggression or not. You know, if someone was killed illegally, uh, obviously that's a murder case, right? So or a manslaughter, something to that effect. It's not. It doesn't. In my mind, it doesn't even necessarily fall into trying to determine if it was a non-aggression principle uh, violation or not if, as a libertarian. But I understand what you're saying. Um, okay, very good. Now, uh, one of the other things I saw on your plank that I thought was interesting is you, you mentioned uh, space colonization, that uh, you see this as as being necessary 
Uh, talk to me a little bit about that. Distinguish the difference between, say, establishing a moon base and, and planning to send humans to Mars, for example. Like Elon Musk thinks that should be top priority, right? Establish a human colony on Mars because eventually this Earth is not going to be inhabitable anymore. Uh, your position seems to be slightly more closer to home. You're saying, let's build a base on Mars. Uh, explain that to me a little bit and talk to me about uh, how this gets funded, who owns it, if anybody, and how do we proceed doing that? Yes, uh, I, my campaign has evolved uh, since I ran in 2016 and 2020. Uh, really, the only thing that I think the government should do is make open source all the patents that NASA has. Uh, and I don't plan on using any government funds or and government programs to go into space. I think private sectors can do that. But I think it will be revolutionary and very interesting for the public to see what we do in space in the private sector in the next couple of years. And I don't know if many people know, but uh, Jeff Bezos's company got awarded a contract to land on the moon in the next few years. So in the next few years, I envision there to be basically uh, space celebrities and we'll be tuned in 24 hours to what we're doing in space once we land people on the moon again. And uh, that'll be very interesting. And I don't think the government should be leading the pack. I think the private sector needs to be leading the pack. And we need to uh, make all of the patents of NASA open source and uh, cooperate when you know, don't get cut the government red tape, basically, and uh, let the private sector lead. And uh, the possibilities of space are something like there's an asteroid that came close to the United to to the, the Earth in 2015 that carried uh, 22 megatons, 22 million megatons of platinum. Uh, you know, you're talking about doubling the amount of platinum available on the Earth. That would that wealth would and that platinum is used in electronics and uh, science uh, quite a lot. It's a precious resource that would basically change the trajectory of mankind if something like that was to be captured and mined. Uh, so yes, we can't have people living on the moon before we get to Mars. Uh, and uh, there, there are certain things I think that will happen, like we need to have uh, relay stations between here and Mars. and uh, uh, I think the Mars mission is more difficult than people are portraying because uh, we don't have the technology to fuel ourselves all the way there and back again. The amount of fuel of the kind of fuel we use right now is basically too much fuel to carry because it would weigh it down on the way there. So other technologies have to be developed, but that doesn't mean they won't be. Heck, maybe we'll have teleportation or some other technology that we haven't even foreseen yet. We have cell phones, right. which or like telecommunicators on Star Trek. We, we, we don't know what will happen 20 years from now. You never know. We may use a computer to uh, digitize yourself and then reappear on Mars. Who knows? <laughs> right, right. You're but absolutely right. Yeah. It's going to lead us on that. So we need Yeah, generally speaking, I agree with you. I don't think the government really leads at anything. It's yeah. really one of the most inefficient organizations ever created. Bureaucrats but, uh, scientists, and uh, we need to do things like legalize cryptocurrency right now. To mm. increase the space industry. Okay, that's that's pretty cool. All right. Uh, in terms of our liberties here on Earth in the United States, um, you're in favor of repealing the Patriot Act, I assume. Absolutely. 
What about uh, these calls for disbanding the FBI, disbanding the CIA, disbanding Homeland Security? Do you put them all in the same category where you say get rid of all of them? Do you think some of them can be kept but reformed? Uh, how do how do you see those policing slash intelligence gathering uh, agencies in your mind? If you were president, if you could somehow arrange your your uh, your cabinet like that, how do you how do you deal with those agencies? Yes, basically get them all in line with the Constitution and uh, cut their budgets hugely. Oh, looking at how we can cut the budget of the government by fifty percent cut their budgets by more than 50%, yes, and I would gut them, basically. The NSA has, for decades, worked for corporations in basically what a corporate state, what they call the corporate store, uh, like Edward Snowden revealed, uh, basically stealing secrets and selling them to corporations left and right. They don't work for the U.S. government. They work for uh, the highest bidder. And uh, we need to cut weapons proliferation in places like Israel and Ukraine, uh, and uh, stop the various companies who are using the government as a socialist uh, money bin, basically, uh, cut weapons proliferation and not send weapons anywhere in the world, and that should be outlawed. Uh, so, yeah, there's a lot to do, and uh, I would basically gut the FBI, Homeland Security, and NSA and uh, if they were doing anything, it would be, well, let, let's think about that for a second. Uh, based on the First Amendment, what are they allowed to do? Uh, basically, not let people uh, make uh, counterfeit bills and rob banks, and that's about it. That's what, their, their mission should not be hunting Catholics like myself or, uh, you know, um, profiling people who are of dissent, who are of a certain party, which all libertarians are basically under their watch, uh, there's a lot to be done. And uh, we need to stand up for our First Amendment rights at all times. What about, though, the argument that's, that comes to says, like, hey, look, um, we being good libertarians, <clears throat> we don't believe in violence unless it's in the defensive measure, unless someone has aggressed against us first. Um, what about what about someone who will say like, Hey, you can't wait for someone to aggress against you because if someone sneaks, say uh, a nuke or a, or a bioweapon into the subways of New York city, you know, that's 15, 20 million lives gone before you have a chance to even respond. So how do you respond to people who say, Hey, we need this intelligence gathering. We need, and, and agreed, maybe it isn't directed at our citizens necessarily, uh, but we need these agencies. We need an NSA. It needs to be reformed perhaps. But we need one. We need a CIA. What, what's your answer to something like that? No, there are good missions that they do, so they'd still be around. But definitely I would gut their budget uh, and audit them and make public what they've been doing, uh, make them more transparent. Um, we deserve open uh, look into what they're doing, maybe not the exact details, but what they've spent on their budgets, their entire budgets need to be. And their, their budgets are black budgets. We don't know what they spend their money on. Right. But we should know. Uh, and the military as well. Uh, the military has lost $17 trillion in the last 20 years. So, yes, there's uh, a lot that needs to be done to make them transparent. And, and yes, I do believe we can cut their budgets greatly, uh, more than 50% for those programs. And it's interesting. When you say they lost $17 trillion, you don't mean lost as in... <clears throat> 
bad investments. You mean they just can't find money they were allocated, correct? Yes, correct. Yeah, yeah, that's that's interesting. Okay. Um, some of the things I want to touch on in terms of uh, individual liberties here, gay rights, uh, trans rights, uh, rights of people who are not considered in the mainstream of society, for lack of a better term. Where do you see their rights being infringed right now? Uh, at what point is there a conflict in libertarian philosophy that says, okay, we agree everyone has uh, inalienable rights just be by nature of the fact that they're humans, right? Uh, but do you believe in any proactive stance uh, that a libertarian president or government should take in order to ensure that those rights? So kind of two, where do you see uh, the rights of the of the uh, LGBTQA plus community being infringed necessarily? Uh, and, and what would be the steps of a libertarian uh, presidency or administration of Keenan Dunham to say, OK, let's let's fix this? I am bisexual myself, so I am part of that community, and uh, I would say that uh, there are a lot of things that we need to protect from from states that may try to uh, swing a, a certain way that they the way they used to be. So we need to protect things like marriage rights, adoption rights. Now, where I draw the line is with collective rights, where a group gets together and tries to enforce their rights on other groups therefore taking away their rights. So I don't mm. believe that our community has the right to uh, uh, make uh, someone do labor for free for our group because we, we bargained together and then, and then we decided. So I don't believe in collective rights. I believe in individual First Amendment rights and, the, and uh, all of the, the, the First Amendment and the Fifth Amendment are very uh, intricate in what they cover. So uh, all of that is included in the First Amendment. Uh, there's nothing else we need to add to the First Amendment, really. It's so broad. Uh, so uh, our individual rights, I want to protect those. There is still work to be done. Uh, it always has to be protected, so we have to be vigilant mm -hmm. of, of threats. And uh, I did want to touch on, so uh, a problem with collective rights has been the way that uh, students are treated in schools, young children. Uh, basically, on the one hand, you have um, uh, forced uh, uh, drag shows for kids who don't have the choice to be in the drag shows. And then on the other hand, you have banned books in public schools like in Florida. I think both of those are great reasons to have school choice. And I would also in introduce school choice as far as taking away and making, uh, putting my money in the federal uh, school system voluntary. It's part of my program to make everything voluntary in the government. And I want to take that money back and homeschool. So I do believe in homeschooling. I think school choice needs to be nationwide as a way to uh, fund yourself and homeschool yourself. And you should be able to get that money back to homeschool. And, uh, you know, take that money and put it in a savings account and be able to fund your student's education. So those are all uh, great reasons to do homeschooling. Right. And it sounds to me like, uh, and, it kind of, and I understand there's, there's several different principles here that sort of interwoven in, in that response, but it sounded to me like the common theme there was let's get the government out of anything uh, proactive and get it out of things where it's trying to affect either for lack of a better term, public morality or 
public association, free association, and things of that nature. So to yeah. your point, if the government isn't in charge of schooling at all, and we make everything uh, back, give it back to the people, back to the marketplace, uh, then you don't have to worry about um, what your kids are taught, right? Because then I, as a parent, can send, I, I can choose to send my kid to whatever school I want. Uh, and if, if I want to have them exposed to drag shows, as you said, great. If I don't, I can, I can say, Hey, you're not getting my money anymore. I'm taking them to this other school that better suits my, my child's needs. Right. So, uh, I, I, I get that. I think that's, that's a a pretty solid way of, uh, of viewing it. Thank you. Now, one question sort of tangentially to this is, uh, when I recently interviewed Chase Oliver, who, who, as you probably know, has come out and said, I'm a gay man, um, uh, I asked him, I said, it seems to me that naturally that community, uh, the LGBTQA community in particular, given their choices, are I would almost bet money, like if you had just given it to me as an like say an a- academic exercise, I would have said, this is a group that was born to be libertarian, right? Because they do their own thing. They're, they're not part of the herd. They don't follow, you know. Why do you think it's so hard, though, to get those groups on board with being largely libertarian? Because most of them don't, wouldn't uh, identify themselves as being libertarian politically or philosophically. Why, if any insight, do you think that that's the case? Why, why do you think that libertarians and the, the LGBTQA community have such trouble aligning, would you say? Well, I think uh, we need to fight for... The- everyone's rights and demonstrate that we're fighting for their rights the most. Uh, so the Libertarian Party has always been for gay marriage. And uh, we pretty much kept the Democrat Party straight uh, regarding that when they could veer or not use that issue. Uh, if we were still shouting that issue, then they had to do it or they would lose a voter base. So right. yeah, the Libertarian Party has always been here for the gay community. And uh, we're going to keep doing that. And there's there's a lot of activism to be done. So we just need to uh, lead by example, basically. I think that's the best way to bring people to the party. Oh, and also want to uh, explain real quick that, you know, uh, to actually vote on a, a candidate for the nomination, and this is due to the third party system, uh, you have to join the Libertarian Party, uh, participate locally, and I encourage everybody to participate locally. And then you have to become a national delegate and come to the national convention, which is going to be in Washington, D.C. next May. So I encourage everybody to come support me in Washington, D.C. next May. And you have to be elected a delegate, uh, a national delegate by your local party. So get involved locally liber- as a Libertarian. And that's something that took me a while to understand when I started in 2012 in the Libertarian Party. So there is a learning curve to being in a third party, which is restrictive because the two-party system makes us do it this way. Uh, It's not our choice. We do have some primaries. I was on the ballot in the California primary, but those are non-binding. So if you vote in a primary and you see my name there, they're not binding. You still have to be a delegate to, and and the delegates have more sway than in the the uh, uh, primaries for a Republican and Democrat. You have to be a delegate to actually get your vote to count uh, in the uh, nomination process of the Libertarian Party. But yes, I do plan to be on ballots uh, this election season as well. I was on several ballots in twenty twenty. 
So yeah, I yeah, just want to put that out there. Yeah, and, and definitely I think that's an important point because I don't think uh, if you're accustomed to the duopolis method of selecting candidates, you, you kind of assume that either your primary or your caucus is what binds delegates to a particular candidate. And the Libertarian Party doesn't do that. Uh, they kind of do it old school style where there's a convention and uh, candidates independently almost for president and vice president uh, kind of emerge from the convention, right? So it's the old school people talking to each other at this convention. Uh, the candidates, you see them freely mixing around with the with the delegates at the Libertarian Party convention, right? And then there's some sort of chip system where the person who collects the most chips gets to go on stage. They progress one round, two rounds, three. And a lot of times, um, it leads to some interesting combinations, right? So uh, I think the last time out, Joe Jorgensen and Spike uh, uh, Cohen probably would have never picked each other to be each other's running mates, right? But that's that's what the convention ended up doing, right? It, it picked Joe, was it four, fourth ballot, fifth ballot, something like that, and 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 Spike uh, almost independently became the, um, the uh, vice presidential candidate. So people need to understand that it's, yes, your state may have a libertarian primary, but functionally it almost counts for nothing in terms of uh, getting you delegate. So that's that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. Okay, uh, let's just move on to some other things. Legal immigration, always immigration in general is a big topic. It's used as a hammer by both the Democrats and the Republicans in general against each other. At the end of the day, though, uh, Keenan, what is the right thing, in your opinion, to do about immigration? We definitely need a pathway to citizenship. And uh, when you have people streaming across the border because of a Facebook post, it's obviously not clear to them how to become uh, citizens. I have my entire plan for immigration in English and in Espanol on my website. Uh, so that is basically number one above all is to make uh, unlimited workers visas as a path to citizenship. So if you want to walk across the border, all you have to do is apply in your country for a worker's visa and there are unlimited of those, you just can't be a violent felon to get one. So that would document all the legitimate people who want to be immigrants who haven't violated the NAP before in a violent fashion and been in prison for it. So basically, that would provide a clear pathway for citizenship. And uh, I, I basically believe that uh, if, if you want to work in the United States, you should be allowed to immigrate to this country and I greatly value immigrants. And uh, it's basically all on my website if you want to check that out. Um, I was also going to say um, that uh, a couple other things. In, uh, we are going to have an event here in Myrtle Beach, where I'm from, with Spike Cohen, and I'm going to be there on September 9th. Uh, we're having a, a shooting park, uh, open range uh, shooting day where we're going to go to the range and, and that's uh, going to be fun next week. And uh, throughout my campaign, I'm going to be holding free Julian Assange rallies. I've got one planned locally, October 14th, where we're going to have a free concert for Julian Assange. I'm really excited about that. And we're going to try to do those all over the country. I've got other artists who want to do that in other cities like Chicago, uh, some really cool young artists, electronica, rap and uh, uh, grunge artists who want to do concerts and uh, we're basically going to have fun and, and go all over the United States. I'm going to also look at the calendars of every state party 
and see any events that they're going to, like local fairs and things like that, and show up at any event, basically, when I'm in town or when I'm in that state for the next uh, year. Uh, I'm going to be traveling all over the United States. And if anybody has a local uh, county party that they want to invite me to one of their meetings, I'm willing to go to those as well to speak. So basically, I'll be traveling a lot in the next year and uh, going all over the national state conventions, national convention, and a lot of events. Yeah, that's a, it's. It, no one can fault you for lack of effort. I will say that much. You, you, you're, you're definitely getting out there. You're getting, uh, you're meeting people. You're shaking hands. You're explaining your positions, and I think that's what a good candidate should do. And, and certainly, you are doing that. Um, let me also ask you a little bit about some other things here. Uh, jury nullification. Uh, there seems to be a lot of confusion about this concept uh, in terms of what constitutes jury nullification. Can you touch on that and why you support it? Yes, uh, there's a lot of education issue, issues that I put it on my website, and that's one of them. Basically, uh, when you don't think the punishment fits the crime, uh, just acquit them, and uh, that will nullify the verdict, and I encourage people to be ready to use jury nullification uh, whenever possible, and that's always a useful tool in your conscience. If your conscience tells you that you don't want to send somebody to jail for using drugs when you know they're addicted and they're going to get a, a 10-year-plus sentence in a felony, a federal felony conviction, you should vote not guilty because you don't think they deserve that kind of punishment. And that's what jury nullification is. Right, right. So it's making sure the punishment fits the crime is the old yeah. adage I'm assuming that you're referring to there. Um, so I, I assume that you're also against mandatory sentences? Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm against uh, third strike rules. Uh, I'm against uh, felony loss of rights. I think that needs to be reformed as well. You shouldn't lose the right to vote because you've committed uh, a felony or drug felony or or uh, even a violent crime. I think you should still have the right to vote because prisons are very hopeless. And uh, we, we don't need to uh, basically turn prisoners into uh, lifelong criminals because that's what prisons do now. Uh, they basically turn people who are very hardened and habituated to prison life into criminals for life because they don't see a way out and they can't get jobs. Uh, and I think that the prisons are um, a great opportunity for improving the United States. We are the prison capital of the world. If you look at number of people we imprison per capita uh, in the United States, it's greater than any other industrialized country in the world and any right. other country in the world. So there's a great opportunity that we still have to, to reform prisons, and uh, I'm very uh, keen on doing that. Also, um, a lot of people don't know that in 2020, uh, right before the right before Trump was out of office, he actually executed 13 individuals with the federal death penalty, which was put back on moratorium after he left. It was on moratorium for years, for decades, actually, where the federal government was not executing prisoners. And during COVID, Trump grabbed the, the wand of power and uh, brought back the death penalty during COVID, which was horrible. Uh, and there was no reason to do that. And I tried to get some prisoners, you know, 
uh, off that and uh, made calls. And then also uh, the Texas death penalty is used often. There was a person named John Henry Ramirez who, and I, and the, the particular prisons, prisoners I was calling about had religious uh, disagreements that they wanted addressed before they were executed. And I couldn't get a stay for this one person named Quentin Jones. Uh, and then uh, that happened to be in Texas, but was a federal death penalty case. And then John Henry Ramirez was a uh, honorably discharged Marine who was just destitute at 18 in 2001 after he got out of the Marines. And uh, he uh, robbed somebody for $2 and killed them. And he was in the in prison for over 17 years. Uh, and uh, <clears throat> he, he became religious and he got, I uh, made calls. And 30 minutes before his execution, the Supreme Court gave him a stay of execution in Texas because he wanted a minister to lay his hands on him uh, while he was being executed. And uh, I didn't know if he was going to live or die. And then uh, the next day, I learned in the press that he was given that stay. I made calls to the Texas Department of Justice and the governor's office. The sad thing is he was executed the next year with but he did get that stipulation. He had a, a pastor lay their hands on him while he was executed. So uh, the the prison system has to be able to recognize people who have uh, you know changed their ways, sought religion, or or sought um, the victims and made statements for the victims and rest done restitution things like that. Whereas the death penalty. Uh, is costly uh, based on old cases that they're in the death penalty system for decades. A lot of the DNA evidence wasn't around back then that might exonerate them. And the DNA evidence has exonerated many death uh, penalty cases. So I think we should get rid of the death penalty. Also, I'm for abolishing the death penalty as well. Right. I was going to ask you, it sounds to me that uh, of all the things you could do for criminal justice reform, and there's plenty out there that you that fall in line with the libertarian uh, mindset, uh, ending qualified immunity, ending civil asset forfeiture. But it sounds to me like like most libertarians, you would think that the number one thing to do is end the death penalty on every level, uh, whether it's federal, state, or local, right? You, so even if you, as a president, put a moratorium on all federal uh, capital cases, you'd still like some mechanism and 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 maybe this is where you can explain to me the the seeming paradox of a libertarian wanting to tell a state what to do which is to right. not execute someone well it's tough i may have to leave it to the courts i may not have the power to enforce that on other states i can hope that congress would do an, an abolish the death penalty bill and it could encourage that but i i don't want to be a totalitarian libertarian you know taking all the power to, to free us all. No, that doesn't work like that. I will have to work in the system and hopefully get other libertarians elected to Congress. Uh, of course, we've had Justin Amash in Congress. Right. That was awesome as a libertarian. Uh, but we need to get more in there, and this needs to be a wave. And we need a libertarian revolutionary wave of liberty-minded people. We need to pull them from other parties. We need to pull experts. We need to consult 
everybody we know uh, about this, about the problems we have in this country, and libertarians have solutions. We have a lot of solutions, and uh, this this country can be improved greatly. The economy can be improved greatly, and that's why I'm putting my ideas out there and preaching uh, all the changes that I'm talking about, and I'm not going to stop. So thank you very much. No, we wouldn't want you to stop, Keenan. That's for that's for sure. Uh, let me ask you this though, because you, and it's interesting that you mentioned preaching a certain values, uh, just in talking to you now, and I really haven't talked to you prior to this interview, but just, uh, in talking to you right now, I get the sense that you do have a, a sense of uh, religion to you or spirituality, however you want to categorize it or label it. Um, it, so it, sort of in that vein, uh, th- to me, if I was to say out of all the issues that I have on my sheet here. Uh, the, the one that I think is intractable that is unsolvable right now is the issue of abortion. Right. And, uh, I've spent years thinking about this. I mean, putting some thought to it, I can't come up with a solution. Um, it seems to me to be un unsolvable because of the very basic question of, we don't know when life begins. Right. So I think as a libertarian, I can say for certainty, all humans have the right to live no human should be aggressed against by another human. So if if you could tell me when that thing, when that being becomes a human, then very simple. No abortions past that point. Uh, but we don't have that answer to any scientific certainty. So to that, keeping that in mind, what's your position on abortion? How do you square, whatever your position is, how do you square it away with your libertarian beliefs? Because no matter what your position is, it's going to come in conflict with some point in your libertarian philosophy, right? So uh, also given the fact that you sound like you're a religious man, how would you tie it all together to come to craft a position on abortion? Yes, um, I have been in relationships where uh, my significant other had miscarriages, so it it hits close to home. And uh, basically, uh, when there's a birth, there's a lot of risks, and uh, there's it's a very sad issue uh, because what what about the safety of the mother when the when the birth is going to affect the mother's life? Uh, basically, I don't believe in uh, uh, partial birth abortions. That's where I draw the line. I don't believe in um, late term, but. You know, there still could be special circumstances where the life the life of the mother is at risk. So basically, I take the libertarian stance that uh, a woman has a right to an abortion, but we need to keep things like uh, adoption available and uh, also uh, protect gay rights to adopt as well. Um, so there's a lot that that needs to be done. Uh, there also needs to be plenty of charities out there helping young mothers, uh, you know, to have births if they want to, to, because you don't want to abort a child because of an economic situation. That's horrible. Um, so there needs to be support systems and it's not going to be the government. Uh, basically again, the government needs to get their hands out of it and, uh, let the private sector and charities, uh, pick up those, those issues. And we're great in the United States about having, a lot of charities that uh, step in and help mothers. So I think well, there's a lot of opportunities and uh, we will get there. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. I, 
I have always had trouble. If someone were to interview me and say, what's your position on abortion? I, I would struggle. It would take me at least a couple of hours to, to formulate it properly and not break it into sound bites, which everybody seems to be eager to do. It's not a soundbite issue, in my opinion. Um, and I also do think that one of the problems is that people don't acknowledge the concerns of their opponents, right? So, you know, I think the people who are so-called uh, pro-choice uh, like to frame it that the pro-life people just want to control women, which is typically not the case. And the pro-life people need to understand that, that you can't exclude the mother when it comes to the the woman when it comes to the choice of how she conducts her life. Uh, so, so it's it, it, I, to me, it's intractable. I can't figure it out. I've tried. <laughs> I always try to give it as much leeway as possible. But uh, thank you for being honest with your point of view, at least. And, and uh, thank you for that. All right. Uh, one last uh, thing uh, that I see a lot of libertarians sometimes argue about is the, the issue of term limits. Uh, and, and the way I kind of formulated in my head is um, I understand why people want term limits. But if the people, since we are using democracy as a mechanism for getting uh, people into, in and out of office, um, why should the people be prevented from picking a person they're satisfied with as often as they want? Right. So if, if the, um, where was uh, Strom Thurmond from? I forget what, what state was he representing? South, yep. South Carolina. There you go. I was right. Okay. If they wanted to keep Strom Thurmond in there for 50, 60 years, uh, why wouldn't, why would I as a libertarian want to take that right away from them? Because they become career politicians who don't care about the American people. They only care about lobbyists, power that they've grown over the years, over the decades. They can. We need to limit the amount of power that someone can grow in office. I think that senators should have term limits of two terms. I think that Congress should have limits of three terms. I do have a term limits page on my website, and I definitely encourage term limits. Um, I also believe now that we have a very far-right uh, Supreme Court bench that judges should be elected. I think that uh, there needs to be more transparency in the justice system, and at least some judges, maybe starting at the Supreme Court, need to be elected by the people and hmm. uh, have terms also, not, not be in there for life. Um, maybe like a senator, like two six-year terms, uh, because this is a country defined by we the people, and uh, it, there has to be some limit to uh, the actions of people in office. So, yes, I do believe in term limits. Okay, fair enough. All right, Keenan, thank you. We've gone through a lot of issues here. I appreciate your patience in going them over. Uh, going over them with me rather. But uh, now it's the time of the show where I like to do a section called silly questions. These are questions that have little to do with politics, but just to get the folks to know you a little bit better, there's no right or wrong uh, answers to these questions. Just uh, trying to see what, what's in your head a little bit. Okay. So the first one is what type of libertarianism do you identify with the most? So do you consider yourself a minarchist, an anarchist, uh, uh, an ANCAP, uh, agorist? left libertarian, right libertarian, out of the many flavors of libertarianism that we have, uh, how would you identify yourself? 
I don't really believe in the categorization of left and right, but I would consider myself an anarchist or an ancapitalist, anarchist capitalist. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Fair enough. Okay. Um, now, I also, somewhere in doing some research on you, uh, believe you got your undergraduate degree in experimental psychology. Yes. So, uh, who do you have a favorite experimental psychologist? Someone like Zimbardo or Milgram or Osh? Uh, anybody that uh, kind of whose work you found interesting and or inspiring when you were studying? Yeah, I'd probably go with the father of American psychology, William James of Harvard. William James, there you go. Interesting enough. Any particular reason why you zoned in on him? Um, basically, it's it's a little bit more advanced than Freudian. Uh, I don't. I believe Freudian is kind of pseudoscience. William James mm. is more scientific. Right. So he actually conducted experiments, took data, things of that nature, right? Okay. In your opinion, what is the biggest single threat to, in, to individual liberty in the United States today? Absolutely the government and its growth. And, uh, you know, countries around the world are uh, also growing their governments to uh, stifle the people. And uh, there's always room for revolution. It's as simple as an idea, freedom. And freedom mm. isn't free. There you go. Uh you're you're at a uh, a gathering. You're at a uh, a rally. Uh, at the end of the day, what do you do to unwind? What's your favorite activity to unwind? Well, actually, I'm a professional writer. I've uh, published two books. One's a role playing game for kids. I would say writing. Writing, writing helps you unwind. Excellent. Um, all right, now this is close to my heart. South Carolina is home to four types of barbecue sauces, mustard, vinegar and pepper, light tomato, heavy tomato. And you guys like to do the whole hog barbecue, as I understand it, in, in South Carolina. So given all that, what is the perfect combination of South Carolina barbecue that I should be looking for when I visit your great state? I like super spicy. I don't know. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I don't like the, uh, the uh, yellow mustardy. I like but I like really hot, savory. So hot and savory. Well, listen, I may have made a bad assumption here. Maybe South Carolina barbecue isn't your thing. Is there any other type of barbecue that perhaps you prefer? I don't know. I guess I'll have to travel around the next year and find out. Eat some barbecue. <laughs> That's a great answer. There's a lot of great spots out there, as we know in this country. Uh, barbecue is uniquely American, so uh, and I love it. So. Everyone, thank you, Keenan Wallace-Dunham. Please give us, uh, let the folks know where they can go to learn more about you and perhaps donate to your campaign. Absolutely. Uh, my website is dunham2024.com. I've got donations and a merchandise store for nice t-shirts available on there. Uh, my website, I mean, my Twitter is uh, dunham2024 as well. I'm on Facebook. You can find me all over social media. I have a Discord. People can join if they want to get involved. And you can definitely find me on the internet. And we'll certainly have some of those uh, websites and Twitter handles up on the screen while during the, uh, the course of this interview. Everyone, uh, Keenan Wallace Dunham, thank you for joining us on the Big Questions with Big John. And for everyone out there, join us again next time when we'll have another interesting guest uh, that we'll be talking to. Until then, peace out, everyone. Thank you so much. <laughs>